Now, we're going to take up uh, a little bit more in earnest now uh, on this subject of baptism, which we have been talking. We have had some lectures now already about the subjects for baptism, that being only those who have believed and repented. We've made the case for a what's called a regenerate church membership as over against the church membership established by infant baptism. But that all had to do with the subject of who is who is to receive the baptism. We're going to go now to the subject of the mode of baptism, how baptism is to be performed. And just to Set the record. Go ahead and set the record. You'll see that I've entitled the uh, lecture Only Immersion is Baptism. So that kind of gives away the whole thing. I had an interesting conversation this week. My new monitor that I have this year, I think I've mentioned to you before, she is an ordained minister in the Nazarene church, uh, ordained minister. She has the same ordination as all of their ministers, but her degree was specifically in children, children's ministry. But uh, I opened the subject of baptism with her. And uh, to say the least, it was an astounding conversation. But I started asking questions. Uh, I asked her, and uh, we may do this here. We may uh, do this along the way here somewhere when everybody's here. Ask some questions like, for example, and I hope that some of you men will be prepared if we just have this not a lecture, but just an open discussion. Questions like, was John's baptism different from all the baptisms known to the Old Testament saints. John was an Old Testament saint, right? And uh, he, he, uh, the Jews of the Old Testament had many washings and even baptism, proselytes, etc., different baptisms, different washings. Was John's baptism different from any of the preceding baptisms in Israel? And if so, how and why? And then the question, was Jesus' baptism different? Was he baptized, John baptized him, uh, was his baptism a different from the New Testament believers' institution of baptism? Was that a different? Was Jesus's baptism different yet again from Old Testament baptisms and and or from uh, New Testament believers' baptism? Was it believers' baptism? Identified with believer baptism, or was it not? And if so, whichever position you take, 
how do you defend that position? And then, of course, you come to the next question, which is, is the New Testament baptism, is the from a first century church forward, is that baptism different from the baptisms that were being performed by Christ and his by Christ's disciples? The Lord baptized none. We know that. But his disciples baptized. Is the baptism of the first century church different from the baptism that those disciples and apostles were performing? If so, how different? Why? Etc. So there's all these questions that are absolutely legitimate questions and, and worthy of pursuit. And I asked them all and she became very frustrated and uh, said, it, said her head hurt. And she just really didn't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> so, but uh, baptism, uh, we believe that baptism only immersion is baptism. Now, we, we base that, as you shall see in some of what I'm going to read. We'll not be late today. We do have a nursing home service. But I do want to open this subject up for us today. We see that our position that only immersion is baptism. Where do we derive that position from? It's it's because of our solo scriptura. It's because we we take nothing for a basis, but the scriptures. We we do not look to the ancients. We don't look to antiquity. We don't look to the quote church fathers. We look for our answers, for our doctrine, for our belief system, only on the scriptures. That's where the position comes from. Jeter said in his writing, uh, Baptist Principles Reset, Jeter said, the inspired writers used only one term with its derivatives to denote the act required by the ordinance under consideration. That word, it has been elsewhere stated, as expressed in Roman letters, as expressed in Roman letters and changed in form to suit the English idiom, is we use is the word baptized. But what does it mean? That is that he's talking about that's what we have in the English. In our English version, we have the word baptized, baptism. Some writers maintain and multitudes of people believe that baptized signifies equally, is signified equally sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. We will not affirm that a word might not be employed with a meaning uh, so comprehensive and yet so indefensible. But we have no knowledge of any such term. There is certainly no such word in the English tongue. If there is any such term in any language, modern or ancient, it has not come to our knowledge. He's talking about one word that could encompass all these different meanings. To sprinkle, to pour, to immerse. He's saying there is no one word 
actual word, not a created word. There is no such word in, in, in any language. He says if there's any such word in any language, he has no knowledge of it. We do not perceive what use could be made of so vague a word. Sprinkling, pouring, and immersing are entirely distinct acts and are never confounded in human conception. Terms to express these different acts are needed in the intercourse of society and are found, we doubt not, in all languages. But a word denoting them all would not only be nondescript, but tend merely to confuse and mislead. If baptize means sprinkle or pour, then it does not mean immerse. You see what he's saying? Making the simple point, it can't be all of these things. It, it, it can't be. If you, if you sprinkle a person, that is describing a specific act. If you pour water on, that is describing a specific act. If you immerse them, that is describing a simple act. There is no word word that can possibly mean all of these things. It defies language. Other persons insist that baptize signifies neither sprinkle, pour, or immerse, but simply means wash. Or cleanse. That it denotes an effect and not an act. This description will be found to be utterly irreconcilable with the inspired use of the term. We maintain that baptize means immerse or dip. And that, like these terms, though it may be used in a figurative sense, it invariably has reference to its primary import. That is, he's talking about the original Greek word only has one meaning, and everywhere it's used, it has that same import. He goes on and says, It must be borne in mind that the translators of the English version were pedobaptists. And either from the order of King James or their own views of propriety, that is keeping their head of course, failed to translate the Greek term baptizo with its cognates used in the scripture to denote the act required by the ordinance. We must therefore learn its meaning from its various connections in the New Testament. So again, we're going to allow scripture to define scripture, right? That is a, that is a, a Baptist must. We are obsessed, if you please, with that, with allowing the scripture alone to speak when we form doctrine. So he says this word baptizo in the Greek, it cannot mean all three of these things. It has to refer to some or other specific act. And we are contending and we'll show that the scriptures teach that that act is to immerse. 
That is the act described in the word. So he sets about to show, Jeter does, he sets about to show its meaning from its various connections in the New Testament. The first, he says, we infer the, the import of baptism or the meaning, we infer the meaning of baptism from the places where we find it administered. Mark chapter 1 verse 5. The baptism of repentance for the remissions of sin and then went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan. Here's the place. Here's the place. They were in the river Jordan. Why did they need to go in the river Jordan? I mean, they could have poured on the bank. They could have sprinkled in the city. These people went out of the land of Judea and out of Jerusalem and went in to the river Jordan. So Jeter is saying, if we're going to draw from Scripture a meaning for this word, the place that it's said to be set tells us a lot. Here's another one. John 3, verse 23. John was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. There was much water there. Why was that? That place tells you something about the meaning of this word. Because there was much water there. It was, John was baptizing in Enon because there was much water there. Jeter says, if language can make anything clear, it is plain that John baptized in Enon on account of its furnishing an ample supply of water for the purpose. Clearly, that's what's said in that text. So he goes on and on, and you can read the other references. But then secondly, he says in order to, to draw a, a definition, a meaning for this word baptized from the scriptures, he says secondly, the meaning of the word baptize is clearly indicated by the import of the prepositions used in connection with it. <coughs> prepositions. Matthew 3, 6 says they were baptized in Jordan. Verse 16 says Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And they went both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized of him. When they were come up out of the water, this is all quoting these texts, these different references. So he's simply making the point here that the prepositions used in these texts 
are in perfect harmony with the practice of immersion, but are utterly discordant with that of sprinkling or pouring. The unbiased mind in reading these passages would never imagine that baptism was anything but immersion because of the prepositions used in describing it. So, then, another proof, on page 64 if you're following, another proof, I put it as number three, <clears throat> of our proposition may be derived from the incidental and figurative references to baptism in the Scripture. For example, in Romans 6 verse 4, baptism is referred to as burial or in connection with burial. We are, says Paul in that verse, Romans 4, uh, 6 and verse 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So were we sprinkled into Christ? Just sprinkled? Were we just poured? Or are we completely immersed? So you see the figurative reference here presupposes an understanding of the word that it is an immersion, a total immersion. There is, as well as that, there is uh Washing is called an effect of baptism. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Arise, said Ananias to Saul of Tarsus, and be baptized and wash away thy sins. So the figure, again, he's, he's showing figurative and incidental references using the word and how they connect us to its meaning. Wash away thy sins. So it's connected to washing. Which in that country, <laughs> they didn't have showers in their camel skin tents. And they didn't have showers even in their houses. And they only understood washing in one way, and that was in a complete, large enough container, what we would call a tub. So here's an incidental use of the word, connecting it to washing. Jeter says washing is not an effect of sprinkling. Washing by sprinkling is unnatural. It may be used to moisten or soften, but not to wash. Washing may be an effect, may be an effect of pouring, but the text cannot be construed in harmony with this term, either. It is an obvious absurdity to say, arise and be poured and wash away thy sins. So, there's the use of it incidentally referring to washing. And then thirdly, baptism denotes overwhelming distress and suffering. Now here's an incidental way in which the word is used that will certainly give us a clear picture that it is immersion. Luke chapter 12 verse 50. I have 
said Jesus. A baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? He was not simply sprinkled with sufferings. He was not just poured. He did not just have sufferings poured on. He was immersed in suffering. So this is another incidental figurative use of the word that clearly conveys the notion of immersion. And then fourthly, immersion is incidentally, sorry, baptism is incidentally referred to as a covering. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2. Our fathers were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now how did they go through the sea? They went completely through the sea. Totally. How were they covered with the cloud? Totally. So baptism as a is used incidentally referring to covering. And that that image cannot stand unless it be a total immersion. Dr. Whitby, he says, an Episcopalian who cannot be suspected of any partiality for Baptists, describes this, they were baptized unto Moses and in the cloud. He says, into the doctrine taught by Moses, for the cloud was not only for direction, but for a covering over them, according to the words of the psalmist. Psalm 105 verse 29, he spread out the cloud for a covering. And in the sea, says this doctor, for they were covered with the sea on both sides, Exodus 19.22, so that both the cloud and the sea had some resemblance to our being covered with water in baptism. Now this was an Episcopalian. Their going into the sea resembled the ancient rite of going into the water. So here's another incidental figurative usage of the word that in order to convey any meaning at all, one must use it as a total immersion, see it as a total immersion. Later, Jeter says, the person who can find sprinkling, pouring, or cleansing in this baptism will have no difficulty finding it anywhere. The servant, the servant of James Hervey. We know James Hervey, right? Meditations among the tombs. The servant of James Hervey, the author of Meditations Among the Tombs, said his master could make a sermon out of a pair of tongs. <laughs> and no doubt he could, says Jeter. The servant of James Hervey said of his master, the man could make a sermon out of a pair of tongs. 
It does not, however, require half the ingenuity to make a sermon on a pair of tongs that's demanded to extract water baptism from the pillar and cloud and the sea walls that protected the Israelites from their escape from Egypt. So it's entirely, he says, clearly there is this and this alone that it is immersion. And then I put number four is actually on page 72. Number four, the word immerse. The word immerse and its derivatives may be substituted for baptize and its derivatives in every place where they occur in the New Testament, making good sense without the slightest incongruity or violence to the language. And this is not true of the term sprinkling, pouring, washing, or cleansing. Now, I will not read from, certainly will not read the whole chapter. I will not even read from the chapter. But pages 72 through 79, he takes this matter up. And I put it to you again, just simply put it to you as he put it to you. You can go back in the New Testament and everywhere you find the English word baptize or baptism or some derivative, you can substitute the word immerse and its derivatives and the text will be perfectly understood. That is not true if you go back and substitute the word sprinkling or if you substitute the word pouring or if you substitute just the idea of cleansing. That will not fit in every place that you find the word baptize. So Jeter makes, I think, a very strong and solid case for immersion being the only baptism, and we draw it from the Word. In conclusion, I read to you only, and there's some repetition here, some repetition, but it's expressed differently, and I wanted you to hear it, from uh, William Kroll, the church uh, member's manual. Under his section, proof that baptism is immersion, on page 160 of his book. He said that someone specific, that someone specific bodily act is enjoined on the believer as baptism is plain. Now clearly, no one disagrees with us that baptism is required for every believer. It cannot be an indefinite use of water as a religious rite because the command to be baptized includes no mention of the liquid to be employed. We learn from examples only with the incidental circumstances recorded in the New Testament that it was water. In other words, he's saying, simply saying, we don't have a specific command that says baptize in water. Okay? But it's clear everywhere that you read of. 
He said the command directs the believer's mind not to the liquid to be used, nor to the character and qualifications of the administrator, but solely to the act which he, in the spirit of obedience, is to do. The doing of which act and nothing else is baptism. I just want to park there and just say again. It, Brother John pointed this out in one of our earlier classes. It, it, that 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 uh, that was one of the strong arguments uh, on, of Baldwin, Baldwin on baptism. It is an act to be done, and it is to be done in obedience. So, Crawl's point is, if it is an act, and it is to be done then we must know what it is that's to be done. <laughs> the force of the command, be baptized, he says, is directed, therefore, solely to the symbolic action which is appointed by the King of Kings to be the unchangeable token of separation to the Christian faith. Can we ascertain, he asked the question, can we ascertain what that action is? And is the proof sufficient to render the duty to perform it obligatory on the conscience of every disciple? If not, then baptism as a positive Christian institution is lost. If we cannot ascertain, and I emphasize this, I underline this, if we cannot ascertain what baptism is, we have no right to substitute something else in its room. For this was the sin of Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire. If we cannot ascertain what we are required to do as baptism, we are absolved from obedience to do it. We cannot be commanded to do it. If we can then, if we can, then we are held accountable for doing it literally. Baptism is a is as essential in salvation as any other duty which we can as easily understand and perform and which is enjoined with equal solemnity and distinctness that the action required as baptism is the immersion of the body of the believer is evident from the following among other reasons. And again, there was repetition here, but I just wanted to give it to you. He talks first and foremost about the Greek word baptizo, which is always used to designate this rite. The word means immerse. The lexicons all define the word. Immerse, plunge, dip. All lexicographers and critics of any note are agreed on this. It's always construed suitably to this meaning. Baptizo has but one signification. It signifies literally and invariably to plunge. One lexicographer says an entire immersion belongs to the nature of baptism. This is the meaning of the word. Here's the testimony. He says uh, this is Kroll has written the testimony of four eminent and impartial critics. One of them is a Greek, 
One is a German, one is a Scotsman, and one's an American. He gives quote from four different lexicographers from four different countries, not one of whom is by profession a Baptist. Not one. And hundreds of the same kind can be added. These are lexicographers who are talking about the word. They are not Baptists. But they concur that this word has and ever has had only one meaning. That the word was used in this sense by the classical writers is also shown by Stuart Carson, Ripley, and others. In the Septuagint, a Greek version of the Old Testament, and in the Apocrypha, it is used in the same sense. No instance has been proved of the use of this word in the sacred and classical writings in all its literal and figurative applications where it is not properly construed in accordance to the primary meaning of immersion. There's not one place, he says, not one place can be found where this rule is violated. Not one place. Overwhelmingly and indisputably, in my opinion, the word must mean immerse or plunge. If that's the case, then I return to my title, only immersion is baptism. Anything else called by that name is the misuse of the word and a violation of its use in scripture. Only immersion is baptism. Simple lesson. Plenty more you can read on the subject. If that subject interests you, there's plenty, plenty, plenty more to be read. Questions or comments? All right, let's pray together. 